It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Monday, December 5th, 2022. I'm Erin Fulton with Raven News. Planning for the next phase of construction of the Sitka Seawalk is underway. The eight-foot pathway will connect with the existing portion of the Seawalk at the Sitka Public Library and wind its way around and under the O'Connell Bridge and terminate at Totem Square near City Hall. The design and engineering team spent about an hour Wednesday evening covering the history, funding, and timetable for the project, which, when all is said and done, will cost something over $5.5 million. The money comes from a combination of federal and state grants and a local match from Sitka's share of the so-called cruise ship head tax, or the commercial passenger vessel tax, which funded the first phase of construction along Crescent Harbor out to Sitka National Historical Park. The most challenging part of construction of Phase 2 will be building a path on the ocean side of the O'Connell Bridge abutment. Tyler Bradshaw with PND Engineering told the audience that a lot of thought and research had gone into this portion of the project. Uh, One of the critical studies that we performed over the summer was the wind and wave analysis, uh, looking at how big the waves are coming primarily from this direction out here. There's a pretty large, what we call a fetch, an area where the wind can gain energy and put some waves and some fairly significant waves can come into this area. I think anybody that's kind of stood at that laddering facility in a storm knows that there's there's some fairly significant wave action that can occur here. And what that wind and wave analysis allowed us to do was uh, establish an elevation for the seawalk. We're putting it about 19 feet above the zero mark that's down here. That's, that's approximately the elevation of the parking lot there uh, by the realty office. So just to give you some perspective there, uh, it also told us that we needed some really large armor rock to protect that slope. Uh, we also were able to look at various slopes of the armor rock. Uh, to kind of minimize the footprint without having to to push the uh, to push the elevations up too high, because what we're looking at doing is with varying slopes, your your elevation is going to vary because the waves will run up on top of that seawalk. So that's what we're looking at when we do those wind and waves analysis, because we don't want somebody getting inundated with wave action. Although the first phase of the seawalk has been very well received by Sitkins, not everyone in the audience Wednesday was thrilled by the design for the second phase. This resident of Maksudov Street was already feeling pressure from the rapid increase in cruise ship tourism this season. If you put the, the, the walkway on the perimeter of the bridge, I think it will devalue my home quite considerably because I already have enough problems with tourist stuff without having them all be able to look into my living room every single day. Current plans for Phase 2 of the Seawalk are at 35%. A public comment period is open now until December 30th. Planners hope to take public input and have a 75% plan complete by the spring or summer of 2023. Then they'll have another public meeting and move to final design by the end of the year. You can find a link to the Sitka Seawalk Phase 2 planning documents on our website, kcaw.org. Southeast fiddlers and guitar players are going to be looking for a new venue this spring. On Saturday, Juno's largest convention space, Centennial Hall, closed until late summer for major renovations, costing the city more than $6 million. Organizers of conventions and the Alaska Folk Festival have moved the dates or locations of events in the meantime, and for some, those details haven't been figured out yet. KTOO's Yvonne Crumry reports. A few days after dozens of Juno public market vendors packed up their booths and tallied their earnings, the ballroom at Centennial Hall stood empty save for a few people pulling out cables. In the bright lighting, the space looked bigger and emptier than it did when it was full of music lovers for the Alaska Folk Festival 
or when dancers filled the aisles for celebration. Events like those won't grace the ballroom again until late summer. Centennial Hall is closing for major renovations. People should expect to see big changes, but not everything will change. So it is mostly, not mostly, it is all just going to be concentrated on the ballroom. So that's the only thing that is currently going to be renovated. So if people walk in next year and are wondering why the carpet in the lobby isn't different, it's because that was not part of the plan. <laughs> Kathleen Harper is Centennial Hall's house manager. Some improvements will include dimmable LEDs, easier to move partitions, and a floor that should be more comfortable and more durable. Harper said the renovations have been a long time coming. And so there's a lot of equipment that's in here that was really good in the 80s, but is definitely reaching the end of its lifespan and is starting to fail. The work will keep Centennial Hall out of commission for about nine months. Joshua Warren runs PlatypusCon, a local board game convention which will be held in September instead of its usual January weekend. Warren said rescheduling worked better than moving. We've grown to the size where I just don't know if there's a space that we felt fit us. We didn't really want to shrink to make it happen in January. But the Alaska Folk Festival will have to move. Andrew Heist with Folk Fest issued a statement this week saying the event will still take place in April, and they'll say where soon. The big reshuffle is even affecting events that don't use Centennial Hall. Pat Race, the owner of Alaska Robotics, organizes a comic convention every May. That usually happens at the Juno Arts and Culture Center, but the spillover from events moving out of Centennial Hall means the Comet Convention will have to move. Oh, it's very much up in the air. We have, uh, we've, we've got a couple of options we're looking at, and I don't know what the answer is, but uh, we'll figure something out. Centennial Hall closes on Saturday. It's expected to reopen in late July. In Juneau, I'm Yvonne Crumry. Wrangell Public Schools has received some community pushback to its current COVID testing policy, including from the Secondary Schools Parent Advisory Committee. But the district's top administrator says he's not sure scrapping the program is the best move for Wrangell students or the community at large. The policy requires Wrangell sports teams to test before traveling for competitions and encourages testing upon return. It's a stricter policy than the current guidelines set by the state's School Activities Association. Wrangell Superintendent Bill Burr told school board members at a meeting on November 21st he feels continued periodic testing of athletes before sports travel is a sound decision. And looking at other school districts saying, I'm aware, saying it was too hard to run a testing program and they just didn't want to do it. But we would like to think that we were a little more conscientious, perhaps, in protecting our students. It's not saving our athletes or our regular students from illness. But I'd like to think that we are doing our best for, for everyone's sake. Um, those who are healthy, and for parents who are sending their, their students on travel, that the rest of the, the team is healthy. And for their sake, nobody wants to play when they're sick. Burr also pointed out that the district's testing program has decreased dramatically compared to this time last year. This past November, Burr said the district administered 48 COVID tests. Last year, there were 378 tests during the same time period. Bird told school board members he's hoping that more data on testing and positivity rates among students will help inform whether or not to walk back the test-before-travel policy currently in place for Wrangell student-athletes. I'm looking forward to seeing the extensive data that I hope we have going through December 
so that we can come back and say with with a surety that our program is working and that we we are getting on top of the uphill struggle that we have. Burr admits that as far as he knows, Wrangell is one of the only, if not the only, school district testing before sports travel. But he says he doesn't feel like he has the data to change the policy right now. Plus, Wrangell's schools have seen a significant uptick of absences in recent weeks from a wide variety of illnesses. We have a symptom-free school. This has not changed. If a student is, is not feeling well, especially looking at the last few weeks, um, we have seen a major influx of everything from influenza A to other illnesses, to a cough, to possibly RSV, a lot of different uh, variations. If somebody is sick, we know how fast and contagious anything can be. So we are still staying with that symptom-free school, and hopefully we keep that for a long time. Burr says if and when the district does away with a regular COVID-19 testing policy, schools will work to transition into a plan that addresses all sorts of illnesses. Wrangell's school board could potentially approve lower mitigation measures at its next meeting scheduled for December 19th. It's been nearly a year since an investigation found that some Ketchikan student fans shouted racist comments and sounds during an annual rivalry game against Metlakatla's basketball team. That came on as a country theme night organized by Ketchikan High School's Pep Club that was widely seen by indigenous people as an offensive play on the tragic history of Native people's subjugation at the hands of Western settlers. The investigation by Ketchikan School District found that school officials and pep club leaders didn't intend the theme to be racially provocative or insensitive, but the district said at the time that, quote, the negative impact of the theme to our communities was predictable and should have been prevented. Ketchikan School District has since apologized and pledged to take steps to prevent similar incidents in the future. Now, Ketchikan School Board has reached out to district officials in Metlakatla to talk about the incident face-to-face. Gakada Hike is the president of Metlakatla's school board. She told the board during a meeting on Tuesday that she was approached by Diane Gubatayo, a member of Ketchikan's board, at a recent meeting in Anchorage. So she approached me and the table we were sitting at, the rest of the board, um, and introduced herself and stated that the Ketchikan board wants to meet with our board and to help prepare the rift that was created from last year's incident. Gubatayo told KRBD that she hopes the meeting is a way to bring closure to the communities. Metlakatla's board decided to invite members of Ketchikan's school board to its next regular meeting scheduled for January 10th. Ketchikan School Board President Stephen Bradford says the board is due to discuss the proposed meeting on December 14th. I'm Erin Fulton, and this has been Raven News.